Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to My Time Capsule. My name's Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my time capsule is the podcast where I ask people to tell me the five things from their life that they would pick to put in a time capsule. They can pick anything they like from any time in their life, but they pick four things that they treasure and one thing that they'd like to forget, something they want to bury in the ground and never think of again. My guest in this episode is Bilal Zafar, who is a stand-up comedian, actor, writer, and Twitch sensation. Yes, if, like me, you have no idea what that is, keep listening. Bilal was nominated for Best Newcomer at the Edinburgh Fringe 2016 and won the Hackney Empire New Act Award, Natties, in the same year. He's taken four solo shows to Edinburgh and toured them around the UK, including runs at London's Solo Theatre. Bilal's shows are Cakes, a story about a time Bilal's Twitter handle, at Zafar Cakes, was confused for a Muslim-only bakery by angry people on Twitter, and he went along with it to see what happens. Sounds like a good one. Biscuits, Bilal's experience of trying to find in the modern world of dating apps a comparison to how his parents met through an arranged marriage, which obviously he's keen to point out isn't the same as a forced marriage. Love Bots, a show about a social experiment in which Bilal teamed up with Rob Manuel to create Twitter bots to fight the bad Russian bots by spreading love rather than hate and misinformation. Hmm, yeah, I think I'd have to listen to that one to understand it. Anyway, and Care, all about his experience of working in a care home for a year as a 21-year-old, which he also talks about in this podcast. I could tell you more, obviously, but let's find out about Bilal through the things he chooses to put in his time capsule. And for anyone over the age of 30, let's concentrate very hard, shall we, and try and understand what Twitch is. Hmm, good luck. Here is the gentle and charming... Bilal Zafar. I don't know what my demographic is for like live shows because <laughs> it just seems to be random, which I like. Yeah. You know? 
I've done stuff before. I've done like I've been on gigs with people that are like big on Instagram that are having a go at stand up, and all of their fans are like literally children. And I, I don't want that. <laughs> you know. <laughs> no. um, so yeah, anyone is welcome to my stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it means you have a broader subject matter, doesn't it? Really, I think so. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm yeah. always trying to do stuff that's. Um, yeah, I try and I do stuff that, that anyone can get into, sort of. I mean, I do a lot of different things. But, like, the last Edinburgh show I did was all about when I spent a year working in a care home, which was my first proper job. And I think that is just, as a story, that's just... I feel like anyone can get invested in that. How was it working in a care home? I, I ask because I do a thing... Years and years ago, I was in an episode of Only Fools and Horses and another person that occasionally I get together with who is also in it, and we do these small-scale Only Fools and Horses evenings, is an actor called Danny Peacock. His dad was the man in The Vicar of Dibley who went, no, 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 yes, that character. That's his dad. Now, Danny was a very successful actor and a writer, but he now works in a care home, so he's gone the other way. Well, it's weird. It's a nice job. You do feel like you're doing something important, I guess. It's, it's you build nice relationships with people and it's, yeah, you feel useful. Uh, the problem mm. is with that industry is that, like, the one I was in was a big private American company, which is set up in the UK, a bunch of homes in, like, wealthier areas. And the whole thing is just a bit of a scam, a big uh. scam, to be honest. Like, I uh, found out that um, residents were paying, like, some of them were paying £10,000 a month. Wow. And I was on £6.50 an hour. Oh, my God. Bastards. Yeah. That's all I can say. Oh, yeah. And th- there's been sort of articles about that company and stuff as well, but more recently about how sort of dodgy it all is. It's just a big money-making thing, you know. So. Yeah. I mean, I've got a friend who's in a care home, mm. and the people that he spends most time with, of course, are the people who are caring yeah. for him. And he sees them regularly, and they're friends of his. Yeah. And he says they're amazing people, and they're incredibly hardworking and dedicated. Many of them, again, would be being paid very little for it. Oh, him. yeah. Yeah. It's shocking. It really, yeah. And especially, yeah. I couldn't imagine. I mean, I did this 10 years ago. Couldn't imagine what it was like during the pandemic for carers. You know, it must have been an absolute nightmare. Oh, by the way, if you can, can you hear some sound? I've got a seven-month-old kitten running around in the hallway playing. She's being a bit noisy. <laughs> That's all right. I don't mind little noises in the background. Yeah. We all have that. <laughs> it's a very difficult thing, isn't it? I mean, you would have done that job, I suppose, because it was a job, mm-hmm. but also because you felt that it was worthwhile. Exactly. Yeah, so I was 21 when I did it. I just came out of uni doing a media degree, mm-hmm. and all of my friends had gone into retail and stuff. Very few people actually go into medias. But even if you do, it's not immediate unless you're, you know, your dad is, um, Yeah. you know. And I just thought rather than doing what all of my friends were doing, I just thought I'd do something a bit nicer and a, a care home mm. seemed nice. And then it's only when I, you know, about six months in, I realised how little I was getting paid for the amount of work I was doing. Which is a tragedy, yeah. really, because actually, mm. as you say, it's particularly during lockdown when, thankfully, and I'm going to quote, a ring fence of protection was put around care homes, as we know, <laughs> because we've been told that by the very man who did it. Thankfully, he made care homes extremely safe. <laughs> it's horrible, isn't it? It is horrible, yeah. Still, he's now a celebrity, so that's good fun. <laughs> <laughs> You're a fan. Yeah, absolutely. Love the man. Love him. <laughs> yeah. Love him. You know, I find the whole thing really difficult because I think actually I'm of an age where I think that before people either would have disappeared in shame or they would have been prosecuted. Mm-hmm. But there you are. Times change, don't they? Yeah. 
That's anyway, <laughs> Bilal, yeah. I, I admire the fact that you did it as a job because yeah. it's not an easy job. I mean, you say it was I did it because it was interesting, but it's it's not easy, is it? No, it's really hard. It's nonstop. It's the, the amount of stuff. It's like, I think it's the case in a lot of minimum wage work where you're just given too much to do. Definitely way too much. Like the morning shift would start at like 7 a.m. And that involves getting people out of bed and ready and helping them shower, you know, depending on, you know, uh, what level of care they need. Mm. Um, and then you'd like, you'd help, no, you'd, you would serve breakfast as well. And then you'd get people back to their rooms. And then it would be like, there was just so much. Yeah. It was nonstop. You're doing everything. Yeah. That's not taken into account if anyone had a problem. But yeah, absolutely exhausting. And at yeah. this point, I just started, I pretty much just started stand-up comedy, like open mic. So I was doing that in the evening. Oh, uh, which, Yeah, which is mad that I did that. That Looking back, I wouldn't have that energy now. No, no. Absolutely exhausting. Yeah. Because it takes a lot of energy to do stand-up, yeah. particularly, I think, it takes less as you get more and more experienced at it mm. because it's the nervous energy that you're giving off, even if you're not showing it. it, it and it's, I find that so interesting, that, the nervous energy. And I try, whenever I meet someone like that's sort of brand new at comedy, I try and tell them like it's a good thing because they get so scared. And I used to get so scared, but now it's like, it's still terrifying. Not as much, but it's just, you feel alive in that moment. And you know yeah. that when you get on stage, you'll be fine. It's just part of it, isn't it? Like, um, it's good because it, it just show it proves to you that you care. You really care about mm. the show. And yeah, and I love it now. Like doing, I just did the fringe again. Obviously we had the break over lockdown. I hadn't been up since 2018. And I was just experiencing that every day. Like, and it did, I was really lucky. It was full every day, the show. But just that, the nerves before pacing around you know you just you start it just becomes a big part of it that you enjoy it's kind of the worst bit as well yeah because it is yeah it's, it's a bad feeling but yeah i absolutely love it it's an extraordinary thing that no matter how many times you go on and are fine yeah. and if anything happens you cope with it you deal with it easily in fact in fact enjoy doing it mm -hmm. you still somewhere in the back of your mind think am i ever going to just be standing there going um uh, um yeah. That's the nightmare, isn't it? Yeah. And I have so many anxiety dreams like that where it's always me about uh, it's it's me going on stage and I'm not ready. I know that that's a very common one with like actors as well, but it's always mm. the same. It's always a different comedy club, weirdly, that doesn't <laughs> exist. It's just an imaginary one. Yeah. And it's it's always the same thing that I'm just not quite ready. Like I've had ones where I'm not wearing shoes. <laughs> and, I'm on and, I don't, and I never take them off. No. Like it's, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. But I love that as well because I feel like it's your subconscious sort of dealing with fears that you have that you don't. Because I don't think about that really. I never think about going on being unprepared, but I dream about it all the time. Which is probably why you don't go on stage unprepared. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Which is a good thing. Yeah. It, it's also easy, I think. Maybe it's a constant reminder because it is easy once you start doing something and you do it all the time to, in a way, disregard the things that made you good at it. Mm -hmm. You know, to forget that actually the reason I'm able to do it is that I've put all that work in and I've, I've made sure that the jokes are good. I've worked on it. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. It's just completely different when you go up there. It's like you become a different person, isn't it? It's like the energy everything changes and you're just a performer suddenly. Yeah. Well, a lot of performers, people, when they meet them in real life, they think, I can't believe this person is a performer. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah people expect you to be performing all the time. <laughs> it's just pretty <laughs> annoying. Yeah, yeah, I bet, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a lovely thing to be talking to you on this because we're going to talk about 
things that you've chosen to go into a time capsule. And for me, this is always the best bit because I have no idea where you're going to take us now. Okay. That's completely dependent on what you choose. So let's start. What's the first thing you've chosen? So I thought I'd go a little bit chronologically. And mm-hmm. uh, the first one is uh, Tony Farino. Uh, right, yeah. Uh, yeah, which is the Steve Coogan character. Yeah. And uh, to be honest, I don't know a lot about the character, but I saw it for the first time when I was, I would have been five or six. Mm-hmm. And I was absolutely crying laughing. Because <laughs> um, it was, it was the thing, I think he was parodying um, Eurovision. And he did a song which was, uh, it went like, butter, butter, bendy, bendy. And he did a dance <laughs> with, it, with the dance, you know. And that absolutely, that it was so funny to me. And the thing is that the reason I saw that is that's not a thing that a five-year-old would watch. It's probably, you know, on in the evening as well. Um, I've got two older brothers. Mm. They are seven and nine years older than me. So when I was a child, <clears throat> they were basically teenagers. Yeah. So they used to watch all of the best British TV comedy which for me, it feels like that was a golden era. I guess Mm. everyone always feels like that, you know. Um, (laughs) So I got to see so much stuff. And the thing is, even though that bit of Steve Coogan, it was just the silly slapsticky thing that made me laugh. Mm. But then you're interested in that person. And then as you get older, you're going to keep watching and you're going to see Alan Partridge, all of that. And I also saw like, you know, the day-to-day brass eye all of these mm. things when I was quite young. Yeah, Brass Eye is a strange program to watch when you're a, yeah. <laughs> a small child. Yeah, but it's funny. Yeah. Maybe more so, actually, because maybe you, as a child, you don't have those sort of triggers that are saying, oh, hang on a minute, no, I shouldn't really be laughing at this. Yeah. Also, you don't understand everything. No. So if there's something that's a bit more of an edgy joke, you probably, you just don't understand, but mm-hmm. you can tell they're doing enough funny stuff and, you know, my brothers would be laughing. And I think I think that that, is what led me to eventually do comedy, seeing all of that at such an early age. Right. Uh, because even, I mean, it was it was hard, like, going into sort of secondary school and everyone talking about, like, Little Britain, mm-hmm. um, which it's not nothing wrong with that, but I was more into better stuff, to be honest. You know, like, it's, it's all right to say that, isn't it? <laughs> it's um, fine, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no one else had seen, like, maybe two other people had seen any of that stuff. Which at that age isn't a good feeling, but then it's it's like you're ahead of everything, and then you're continue you're just discovering more and more stuff. And actually, something I was gonna put in, but isn't. Let me sorry. Let me just quickly check because it was it was quite hard to pick five things or yeah. four good things. So I would have been about seventeen, sixteen, seventeen, and I was in sixth form. And we had a thing called private study, mm. where for an hour we just had to sit in this sort of room and just get on with our work. And I never did any work really. I hated <laughs> school, I, you know, and that's when I used to listen to stuff that I'd, or watch stuff I'd got hold of mainly listen actually. And I, I cause I loved, I really loved Chris Morris at this point yeah. and Armando Iannucci mm. and I came across Blue Jam. Oh my word. It's wonderful, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. Like it's, yeah. At that point, it really, like, blew my mind. Like, I'd never heard anything like it. Because there's bits in it that are quite sad, um, that get you emotionally invested. And there's bits that are just the stupidest stuff you've ever heard. Um, and it's much, by the way, people that thought, like, Brass Eye was, like, offensive or what, this is far worse. Yeah. <laughs> Blue Jam is much worse. <laughs> it is, yeah. uh, Did you watch Jam when that came out as well? I did, I did, yeah. but I preferred Blue Jam. Mm. I think it had more of that raw, really weird stuff. Yeah. And it was longer as well, I think, because it was an hour. And yeah. also I discovered loads of good music I liked as well, because it was the full shows I got hold of. 
but that made me realize I want to do comedy basically. I didn't know, I didn't think I wanted to be a stand up. I didn't have that kind of. I'm so sorry. That's the cat. <laughs> That's the cat. She's just going mad playing. Um, I didn't, yeah, I didn't think I'd want to be a stand up at, at that age at all. I was, I never liked drama or anything. I was quite shy. Um, but I thought I wanted to do so, yeah, something around comedy. So, like, I, I was doing media studies and all of my stuff was going towards comedy completely. Mm. So with the idea of writing it or with the idea of actually being a performer in like sketch shows and things like I that? I think writing was the main thing and then right. performing was in the back of my mind, but I kind of, I thought I couldn't do it. Like I, I thought that's not for me, but then it, it turns out it is. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I didn't have the confidence yet at that age. Um, no. And then I went on to uni, uh, uni, I did a media degree as well with script writing in mind. And so that completely formed my whole sort of career now. Well, as a stand-up, you need that ability to write. Absolutely. It's not like the old days where people were comedians and other people wrote their jokes. As a stand-up comic, you stand and fall on the stuff that you come up with, don't you? Absolutely. It's the best. Also, like, if you're someone like me who's a bit, like, awkward and stuff, always has imposter syndrome and things, you know, Mm -hmm. um, stand-up comedy is incredible because it's, yeah, you write the stuff and you say it in your own way, you know? And, And so... I started, I, I got, when I first got reviewed and stuff, I got praised for being very laid back and all of these things on stage. And I didn't mean to be any of that. It's just how I speak. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's really liberating that like the way that you are naturally can be appreciated. It felt like for the first time. Well, you chose some good mentors, I think. Falling in love with Chris Morris as a young man. Yeah. That's a good move. Lots of people didn't get him. Yeah. They didn't understand it, I think. If you look at that, look at Nathan Barley, which mm. was probably one of the most bizarre comedy series. Yeah, yeah. He's always been a kind of a cult guy, hasn't he, really? Mm. What I like about it is that not only is it a little bit satirical, but it's so silly. Mm-hmm. I used to think I wanted to be a satirist, and that was because... <laughs> Chris Morris's Wikipedia page said that he's a satirist. So I thought that that meant really silly comedy, but kind of important is what I thought that meant. And then as you get into comedy, you realize that's not what it means at all. It's a satirist is someone who like makes fun of Boris Johnson's hair, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So how strange you would be defined as that, because I don't think it was Uh, apart from some areas of brass eye. But again, that's just, pricking the pomposity of people, isn't it? Those mm. things, uh, setting people up with cake. And I still think Brass Eye is one of the, it's probably the most innovative mm. comedy programme we've ever had. Yeah, and that's something I really admire in all of my favourite comedy people is the innovative stuff. It's not trying to be the most popular thing mm. necessarily. Like another show that I really got into around that age was the Armando Unucci shows. Yeah. Absolutely excellent. And I know that that wasn't a big hit either, was it? No. No, again, I think not everybody got it. I'm impressed by the fact that you've gone for Tony Farina rather than than Alan Partridge. Yeah. Well, like I say, it's a very specific memory. Mm. And then, yeah, and then you see him in so many other things and then you just seek out whatever you can find online, yeah. you know. Fantastic. All right, let's put that into the time capsule as your first okay. thing. Okay, right. But now, what's second? The second thing uh, would be um, the... Leicester Square Theatre, New Comedian of the Year 2015 competition. (laughs) Right. uh, Which I took part in. Yeah. Where I was Mm runner-up. But at that point, I was very much like... I think when when you're very new at comedy, it's fine making everyone in the room laugh and stuff, but you still have that thing in the back of your mind where you're like, I don't... 
if I'm actually that good. You know, mm-hmm. there's no way of really knowing. And then that getting presented with it was a 500 pound check that I got as well, which I'd never been given that much money <laughs> like that, <laughs> you know, and a certificate that I've still got in a frame that made me realize that I can do it basically. Mm-hmm. And that really felt, yeah, really amazing. Also, I was presented with the certificate by Richard Herring, who, again, I was like a fan of mm-hmm. uh, because I'd, again, known about him since I was little. And I liked the Rich, I liked his podcast as well. Yeah. And so that was amazing. And now I'm friends with him, which is, I can't <laughs> believe at all. Um, but yeah, that whole memory was at that point as well, where you've, you've only got five minutes of material, you know, mm-hmm. that just felt amazing. And then I had my first little reviews from yeah, reviewers go along to those finals. Yeah. And like I say, they were saying those things of like, um, oh, he's so like relaxed on stage and blah, blah, blah. And just really nice. And I just, you don't even know how to describe yourself really as a comedian, especially when you're new. And that just, yeah, it gave me that thing where I uh, realized, yeah, I might actually be able to do this. Cause I, at, the, at the time I still had a day job and stuff. I think mm. I was in a call center at that point, <laughs> uh, which was really miserable. Mm-hmm. You know, Couldn't even try your material out. Eh? No. No, depressing. Yeah, really. Because <laughs> at that stage, all you know is the lines that are working. You, the lines yeah. that get a laugh. And, of course, that's always hit and miss as well. Some nights they'll get a big laugh and the next night nothing. But what you don't know is how am I coming across? What do I look like to people? Yeah. Do they like me? Exactly. You just don't know. And then you're all, obviously you're in life, you're always comparing yourself to other people. Yeah. I still do it now, but it's very difficult <laughs> not to, isn't it? Yeah. But even when you're new, you see the same, you know who the good open mic comedians are. Mm-hmm. And some of them are quite arrogant as well, which is really funny looking mm-hmm. back, <laughs> you know, quite often a lot of them would be really high energy, sort of do one liners, which I don't do. I do like storytelling. And so you feel like you're doing it wrong. I think I've always felt like I'm doing stuff wrong. You know? <laughs> right, Before yeah. comedy, I always felt like I'm, I'm not doing this right. <laughs> no. You know. Uh, so yeah, I always had that feeling in the back of my mind that I was yeah not that good or yeah not actually doing it properly mm-hmm. or just blagging my way through. And then that getting that certificate and getting getting it off Richard Herring handing it to you as well as uh, you know absolutely. Amazing. No, I mean, he's got a number of fantastically successful careers behind him as well, isn't he? Yeah. It's an incredible thing that he's done. First of all, Mm -hmm. with him and Stuart Lee working together, which was brilliant stuff. And then to go on and become a successful stand-up and then to really take the podcast world by storm, which is what he's done. Oh, he's another person that I massively admire for, Mm. um, yeah, the the innovation and um, building his own thing. And fantastically generous. He's one of the reasons that this podcast exists, without a doubt. Oh, really? He was one of the first people I got in touch with, and I said, do you mind if I come and talk to you, and would you have a go at it? And he said, no, I like the idea. Yeah, let's do it. So I went to his house, and my son came, and he advised us on everything that we needed to do to get this thing working. Oh, amazing. And actually, when it came to the 200th episode, we decided it was going to be me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he interviewed me, so bless him. Yeah, I found him so supportive as well. I, I did. Mm. Um, I made a short film with him, which actually has come out today. I just stuck it on YouTube. Uh, um, oh, right. Yeah, which he was so kind to do because we were filming it in London and he came down from where mm. he lives in the countryside. Yeah, and he it, the film is... Um, have you seen his puppet, Ali? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, in the film, I'm introducing my girlfriend to my dad. And uh, Ali the puppet is my dad. That's that's <laughs> what it is. And I can't see Richard at all, but she can. That's really yeah. stupid. Um, but yeah, just him doing. He, he's always willing to help me out, 
and you know he doesn't he doesn't have to at all mm. uh stuff like that really goes a long way yeah absolutely yeah. When you've got people around you like that, then it gives you the nerve to do certain things. A couple of times I've mentioned the nerve to do things and having a nerve. But it does take a nerve to say, do you know what, I think this is funny. I'm not sure if anybody else agrees with me, but I'm going to have a go and I'll see what happens. And if you look at, you know, Richard with a number of podcasts he does, playing himself at snooker, collecting (laughs) stones and building a wall, and yet... They are fascinating. <laughs> yeah. And it's just having the nerve to say, well, I'm going to do it and I'll see if anybody comes along with me. And in the world of comedy, I think you have to do that. You have to be willing to take that risk. Yeah, that's everything, isn't it? Mm. Just having that confidence. Like all the people I've mentioned, like Chris Morris or whoever, um, mm. that's it, isn't it? They're just doing something completely different. Yes. Um, so um, after that award... Yeah. Did the work pick up or did you have any come down afterwards? You go, oh, I thought I'd won and I was going to be made now. Um, I, it was a weird time. Like a few months after that, I actually won one of these competitions, mm. which is, it used to be called the Hackney Empire New Act of the Year. Now it's called the New Act of the Year because they moved from Hackney Empire. And mm. that was one I desperately wanted to win because Stuart Lee had won it. Yeah. Not that that means any, it's just like on a personal level, I just, you know, really, it's really nice to have that thing. So yeah, it was like, but even then, even at that point, you know that it was still the same five minutes mm-hmm. and a lot of luck is involved with a lot of these things. And on the night when I won the thing, I was on like in the perfect spot on the night, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I think things just went my way. And it's not always winning it, is it? A bit like X Factor and all those sort of things. <laughs> Coming second can be an advantage sometimes. Yeah. And like, I know now as well that winning stuff is like, I really hate when people get so obsessed with like the Oscars because like, it doesn't make the film any better or worse though. If you <laughs> loved it, you still love it. Right. You know, yeah, so yeah. what if it didn't win? There's yeah. loads of amazing actors that like never won an Oscar and, you know, obviously. So yeah, it's a weird thing that comedians can definitely get too obsessed by. I've had that as well in my career. Mm. Definitely. It doesn't really matter. Does it? Like if, if you've made something you're proud of and it's done well, then it's just down to luck on who wins the thing. But it is hard. That is a hard thing to, like, you have to experience that. Mm. No one goes into a career in comedy, like someone who's doing well, feeling that way. Like, they, you'd want to win the thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And also, nobody goes into it thinking, the thing that you learn, which is that I'm never going to make the entire audience laugh all the time. And that's a hard thing. I mean, it's like the most useful gigs can be sometimes the worst ones. And that's an annoying fact Mm because like you wish that wasn't the case, but it absolutely is. Because like the bad experiences you have, you completely learn from, you know, if you're going up every single night, just smashing it, you won't grow as a comedian. You won't change, will you? You won't improve. No, you wouldn't change your jokes, would you? You go, well, these work every night. I've got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas always looking for a better act, improving the act. It's a difficult thing to do, isn't it? It's a difficult thing to let go of certain bits as well, isn't it? Yeah, but you have to. It's it's heartbreaking, but yeah. Mm -hmm. I've had so many times where there's something that I think is so funny or interesting, (laughs) and you're like, it's just not working enough, or it's working some of the time. Let it go. It's quite interesting when you start in comedy, you, you see like when, you know, when you're an open mic, you see some people that are always changing up their stuff and really trying and writing. And they're usually the ones that do a lot better. And then you see people do bits that just don't work, mm. but they persist with them for like a, for years. <laughs> and <laughs> I just find that so interesting. Yes, isn't it? That they won't give up on the idea that they think mm. it's funny. 
a big part of it is being ruthless, isn't it? Maybe, well, maybe that's it. I think some sort of critical skills are useful. Oh, yeah. I mean, there are people, and you mentioned Stuart Lee, <laughs> who every time I see him, he surprises me. Yeah, no, I really admire him as well. Mm. He's because he's someone who could be doing much, much bigger venues. Yeah. Uh, and doing boring stuff, really. Mm-hmm. And he'd still get by. He'd still make a good living. Yeah. But he does really push it. And he's he's always trying something different. I hope I can be like that. Because, I mean, he's always saying, and uh, and in fact, there are some stand-up comedians who say, I, I don't like it. He's always criticising other comics, and I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. I have always found that pretty funny. Because also, it's something you're not meant to do. And that makes it funnier. And then also, yeah, like like you say, like it, it depends what the actual meaning is behind the thing. Like when he slagged off Russell Kane, because <laughs> I think I saw that a long time ago, and then I saw it again more recently. And he's clearly like he's he's being jealous of him. That's that's what it is. Yes. But I didn't, you know, I think not everyone gets that. No, that thing of constantly citing the fact that he was once voted the best stand up comedian in the world, yeah. as if it's true or that he cares. <laughs> yeah. That's so stupid as well, that whole thing, isn't it? Mm. That whole ranking people. and yeah. You can't, because no two people will agree on those things. So so we all have our own favourites. Stuart Lee is, I think, my favourite. Always mm. has been. Yeah, he's probably my favourite current British comedian, I think. Mm-hmm. That's really going to piss off Richard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, well, let's put that Leicester Square Award in. Coming second. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to your next thing. Okay, at break time. Unless you're an ACAST Plus subscriber, in which case this interruption hasn't happened at all. They get this podcast without any ads, you see, so they're happily listening to the rest of my conversation with Bilal with no interruption. Follow the link in the description of any episode. Back soon. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas, absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome back. Anybody pop off to look at ACAST Plus? No one? Oh, thanks. Well, let's get back to Bilal before you decide, with good reason, you've had enough of me on my own. Here he is. Ah, so a, a text, a WhatsApp message in lockdown mm-hmm. from Limmy, who is the um, Scottish national treasure. He's very big on Twitch now. That's all he does at the moment, but he did um, Limmy show before that. Yeah. And I got into that at uni when through iPlayer. I just came across it. and I've always been obsessed with this stuff. And luckily, I became friends with Limmy, in like 2016, which is really nice. And 
at the start of lockdown, I texted him asking it because, you know, obviously all our work had gone. My only income pretty much was live comedy. Mm. And at the start, we had no idea how long this would go on for, all of that. Everyone was panicking. And I tried a few little online things, Instagram, Facebook, and all of that, and it wasn't great. And I asked him about Twitch. I, I texted him and I said, look, should I give it a go? And he said, he said, yeah, do it. He said, absolutely. But don't dip your toe in like other comedians have. He said, um, go head first, or heed first. Uh, <laughs> and I did. I just followed that advice and I really went for it. And it, it changed my life, really. So what I started doing on Twitch was... I messed around a bit. Are you familiar with Twitch at all, by the way? Uh, I'm not really familiar. Okay. No, I'm useless at those sort of things. <laughs> yeah, well, no, a lot of people don't know what it is. No. It's a website where it's a bit like YouTube, but it's live, and people stream themselves live playing a video game, usually, is what it is. Right, yeah, So yeah. you've got you, yourself in the corner of the screen, you're playing whatever, just chatting. And I can't explain why that's as popular as it is, okay? But that's just a thing. Um, <laughs> a lot of people do that. Limmy does all sorts of creative stuff around that. I'm a big football fan. I wanted to play a football game. And so I had a really old, like, I had a crap computer that I was streaming from, so I couldn't get, like, a new FIFA game or whatever. So mm. the one I picked, which would work, uh, is called PES 5, Pro Evolution Soccer 5 from 2005. Right. And I thought, I want to do something with that because I, I used to love that game when I was, like, 13. But I decided what I'd do because I was on screen as the game was on is that I'd wear the top half of a suit and be the manager of the team right and that's it that's the idea and with a green screen you can be doing a press conference team talks and that's what it was and it, it started off some people were interested and then it grew and grew and it got to such a ridiculous level in lockdown because also it, it was that point in time when the season had been postponed the, the Premier yeah. League and so my fictional team called Pez United became the team that a lot of people supported. <laughs> Brilliant. And it, yeah, it's all sort of, it's really weird. It's like a lot of like silly humour, but I am playing the matches as well. So there's a real thing. Well, <laughs> there's a thing going on where <laughs> you don't know what way it's going to go. Like I hadn't set it up in any way. Like, so we'd always win. Like I genuinely didn't know if we were going to win or lose. And then that influence all the team talks and press conferences and I'd always blame the refs and you know, I'd be one of those <laughs> kinds of old-fashioned English managers. And then that, people would actually become engaged in, yeah. in whether you're going to win or not. A big time, yeah, which wow. I didn't see coming. Also, with Twitch, you have a live chat thing. So you can, if you watch live, you can talk and you become part of it. So I'll take your advice on a formation or whatever. So I think like a good way to explain what this all is, it's a bit like watching a TV show that you can talk to and it will talk back. Yeah. That's basically what it was like. Um, mm. So I'm still doing it. It's, it doesn't get the same view as it did in lockdown, but over lockdown it was. So we got to our first cup final in the game. Mm. And I had that, that stream had a thousand people watching live oh <laughs> for the God. whole thing. I know. I had to lie down after, like I was completely overwhelmed. <laughs> I, I didn't ever think I could do anything like that, you know. I didn't even have the confidence to really do anything. I didn't ever feel comfortable in front of a camera, like at my computer kind of thing either. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. it was all very new to me. Um, Isn't it amazing the things that work like that? Yeah. It is amazing. I, you know, I have grandchildren and I watch them watching things like that. Yeah. And actually, once I watch over their shoulder for a bit, I'm very quickly drawn in. Amazing, isn't it? You yeah. just get so invested in a thing. So I was doing all the team talks and stuff. And then also I'd do a thing where I'd have meetings in my office with the players. <laughs> and all you do is you cut to the player and I voice them. 
<laughs> and I just came up with all stupid voices. Um, <laughs> they've all got the wrong accents, you know. Yeah. yeah. And then that became a whole thing. And then loads of these stories started developing and it could, it could go really weird. It could go like really like a, a David Lynch film at times. And to have people invested in it and stuff, absolutely. I've ended a lot of these streams on cliffhangers. And I just thought that's like being able to end a thing on a cliffhanger and only me knowing what the thing actually is and being able to do all of this completely my way live as well. And, you know, I've not had to pitch this to anyone. It's been amazing. Another thing, actually, I could say it's hard because I could go on about Twitch forever. (laughs) Um, But one, I guess, final thing about it, which I think is really important, is that Twitch is free to watch. You can subscribe and pay a little monthly thing, but that doesn't really affect anything. You're just supporting the the, the artist, you know. Mm. And I found that the sort of people that watch me on Twitch are different to the people that will see me live because the fact is that seeing me in Edinburgh is very expensive for anyone, really, especially with the cost of accommodation and everything now, not just ticket prices. It's expensive. Even seeing me at Soho Theatre or in art centres and things, not everyone can afford It's not something I would have gone to. My parents wouldn't have been able to afford it when I was little. Mm. I wouldn't know about the Edinburgh Fringe at all if I didn't do stand-up. You know what I mean? It's just a different world. But with Twitch, because it's free, you can reach people like yourself. It's what I found for the first time, you know? I love the live element of it. I love the fact that it's live because that's a risk, isn't it? The control you could have over something if it wasn't live, if you were controlling this thing and giving yourself thinking time and writing time, but in fact, you're very much living on your wits. Oh, that is so fun, honestly. Like when I finish, uh, one of those streams is usually about two hours long. Mm-hmm. And when I'm done, it feels like I've come off stage doing a gig, which is a good feeling, like absolutely knackered. But it's like you've put in a perfor- performance, you know. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you can go all sorts of places. You end up coming up with really funny stuff, probably a lot funnier than if you plan the whole thing out. You yeah, know? yeah. Allowing things to happen. And then they go, well, I think, you know, I can understand the success of things like Ted Lasso and stuff, and I think it's a brilliant program. But you can see how that sort of thing could be usurped by something that is more random, that actually it could easily catch on, I think, with a huge audience. We're already in such a strange place, aren't we, where TV is getting less and less viewers, Mm. where I speak to – I've not had many TV opportunities. I speak to people that have done sort of have I got news for you and stuff – and it doesn't do a lot for their career. Whereas sort of 15 or 20 years ago, it probably would make them famous. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, no, it doesn't do that because not as many people watch it. People aren't that into that sort of thing, even live at the Apollo. Maybe the people who really have the influence, people under 20, they probably don't watch any of that. Oh, they don't. Oh, my God. No. My nephew is 13 now and, I mean, I should have really... I've had such a obsession with trying to get on TV... Mm-hmm. because of all the stuff I grew up with. And my nephew has never, he knows what I do and he gets it now. He's never asked if I'm going on Live at the Apollo or anything. He no. asks how many YouTube subscribers I have, how many Twitch followers, all of these things, is mm-hmm. what he's interested in. He doesn't even know about TV comedy. No, my grandchildren never, ever turn the television yeah. on. They, they they don't come into my house and say, can we turn this early on? Never. Yeah. They've, they've got their phones. They've got their tablets. They don't need it. And I, I was in denial about it for a while because I was like, no, no, TV's the best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's completely changed. Well, for a certain generation, it's still there. But I think you're right. I think that mm-hmm. it's changing. And how exciting to be there and to see that happen, though. It is exciting. It's, it's weird at the same time. 
because it's kind of sad um, <laughs> seeing what's happened to TV, really. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, like I say, all the stuff I grew up with, you know, like Live at the Apollo has been around for a while. And even that, when that was first on, mm. I guess I would have been a teenager seeing like, oh, there's this new comedian. Oh, this is great. And all of this. And it's like, it's just, it's not that anymore. And that is, it's kind of sad. It's not useless. They make money, which I, yeah, I wish yeah. I had more of. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It, it felt like it was easier to become sort of successful and a little bit famous. Yeah. And now that's a lot harder. But then at the same time, we have all this online stuff where it feels like the potential is just limitless. Yeah. And in fact, the idea of being famous isn't necessarily what people are pursuing because famous <laughs> where? Famous to whom? Yeah. Well, I'm going to find Twitch and find out about it now. Oh, yeah. I'll send you some clips so you can Fantastic, see Fantastic. Like. Yeah. Okay. We've done three things. Mm-hmm. And we've got two to go. Okay. Um, see, I was going to pick when I worked in a call centre because it was just so like mundane. <laughs> but I thought something quite interesting to talk about would be um, I got nominated for Best Newcomer in 2016 in Edinburgh, which is a big thing in the Edinburgh bubble, which pe- my parents don't know what that means. But pe- it, within the industry, it's a thing that's a big deal. The thing that I'd like to get rid of is the sort of six months following that because I was being talked about in such a way by all of the, I don't know, like the independent or whatever were mentioning me in random articles Mm -hmm. saying, Oh, he'd be good for this and all this stuff. And it really got in my head. Like (laughs) I got this arrogance, which I don't think I have now. Everyone, obviously every comedian is a bit arrogant, obviously every performer, you know, Mm. but I think I, I got this thing where I thought I was better than other people. And it really makes me cringe now, you know. And I, I've met people since who are a bit newer and they've had a bit of success and you can see that they've got that thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's just terrible. And, it, it, yeah, it makes me feel awful about myself. Um, <laughs> Did you say phrases to young comics underneath? You said, oh, well done, you. you <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. It's such a thing, like, it's... Yeah, you have people, like, <laughs> you know, you know what it's like when you're when you're hanging out with other comedians and uh, you're just talking about whatever, usually you talk about negative stuff because it's funnier mm-hmm. and then someone will come along and start talking about a review they've had or something. Yeah. And you will think, ah, oh, this, this isn't what we want to talk about. You know, it's, <laughs> no. no one else wants to know about your review, you know. Yeah. Well, as I said earlier, I think it's not necessarily the winning because mm. sometimes winning those things can be a curse. So it was a bit of a curse for you, was it? I think so because uh, yeah, I, I did it all. I, I did my Edinburgh show quite quick. A lot of people do a thing called a coward's hour in Edinburgh, mm. which is where they do about forty-five minutes because that can't be um, considered for any awards. Uh, so they do that for a few years to try and build up a good enough hour. Mm. and then come back and try and get nominated for the thing. And I didn't do that at all. I just went straight in where I'd only been doing comedy like three years. Right. So people don't usually debut that early. No. It's impressive to have an hour. Yeah. Well, just about. Mm. (laughs) You know. Um, Yeah. So I came in, yeah, very, very raw. It it all went very well. And it just just messes with your head a lot, that kind of thing. I think it must be really hard for young people that get quite famous, I think. Um, Not that I was famous, but I had definitely a lot of popularity around that time. Mm. And you see a lot of child stars have a lot of issues, don't they? And and I think that's that's probably, it can't be healthy. Yeah, you do admire people like Harry Styles, and you think to yourself, you seem to be quite sorted, actually. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I couldn't have handled anything like that. No, I'd be an absolute pain in the arse if I (laughs) had anywhere near his success. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I had this belief that I was going to be some kind of star. And um, also something you get is that you start getting excited about things that you never wanted in the first place. Like I, I wanted to be like Chris Morris or whoever. I wanted to always be a kind of, or, or like Limmy or, you know, mm-hmm. wanted to be more of a, a kind of cult figure doing their own thing. Mm. And then suddenly I started getting all these meetings and read through some panel shows and stuff. I never really had an interest in those shows. And then suddenly I did. Yeah. And I wanted to be like that kind of guy instead. And I think it's really, so I didn't, it didn't go anywhere, that stuff, which was really heartbreaking at the time. But I think it was really like a blessing. Right. Because I, I don't know what I would have become. I mean, even over lockdown, if I was getting loads of TV work just before lockdown, I would never have done my own thing ever. Mm. But I was able to do something that's completely my stupid humour and it even like artistically my kind of thing sometimes. That would have never happened. No, it came out of desperation, in fact. Absolutely. That's yeah. where the best stuff comes from, isn't it? Well, it does, yeah. So I hope that that doesn't happen to me again. If anything big happens for me and I feel like I've gotten really successful, I hope that I don't become an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you. And then, yeah. then some big bloke will say, hey, move out of the way, guy. And push me aside. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'll be in the VIP section <laughs> of the bar. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've seen that many times. Yeah. It's a difficult thing to deal with, but mm. it's good that you recognise it. Yeah, but it's yeah. been a long time. It's like you have to go through it, I think, to really recognise it. Because you can't just tell someone, don't become like that. Because you can't. When you're in it and everyone is suddenly like, this guy's great. He's brilliant. He's the next important, big, amazing thing. You're going to believe it. How do you not? It's what you've been waiting for, really. Absolutely. You'll be like, well, I got the award nomination. Yeah. I got all of these reviews and write-ups to prove it, you know. And even all of that is such nonsense as well. The amount of times there's been people that should be nominated for things who don't get it and shows get more highly reviewed or not as well reviewed as they should. You know, there's so much luck. I started comedy in, um, I went to uni in the North. I moved to Manchester and started it around there mainly. Mm. And there's so many acts around there around the north and all over, basically outside of London that don't get the recognition they deserve because it's so London-centric. People wouldn't believe how bad that is. Luckily, I'm from London and I could move back here quite quite easily. But I've spoken to a few on this podcast. I've spoken to a few comedians that I've seen and thought, you're really funny. Mm. But they say, why have you asked me on? Oh, really? Because they're from Manchester. And I say, because I think you're funny. So when I went to uni, uh, they advertised Media City as a big thing in Salford, mm. which, um, yeah, there's loads of BBC stuff there. Mm. They were like, there's going to be opportunities here. And there's not, like, I know for a fact that they get comedians from London because I've had some jobs up there yeah. and it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it really is. Crazy. But anyway, we're going to put well, that little period of your life into the time capsule so you can forget about it. Thanks. And uh, we've got one final thing you want to put in that you want to keep. Yes. You're a Twitter user. Um, mm-hmm. Do you remember? It's interesting because this thing is actually, it's a little bit crap. Fleets. Do you remember Fleets? You say I'm a Twitter user. I'm one of those people who bundles my way onto Twitter and puts things on there that quite often people say to me, I think you should take that down. <laughs> so that's how good I am at it. Right. Okay. <laughs> so I'm on there all the time. I found it very useful for promoting my work and stuff. Obviously, there's a lot of horrible sides to it, obviously. But it's for putting work out, for putting a short video out. Mm-hmm. The possibilities are endless. But um, yeah, so Fleets was a thing that was introduced to Twitter in, it would have been 2020, I think. And basically what it is, is if people are familiar with Instagram, 
you post a story on Instagram and it lasts for 24 hours. And Twitter copied that, basically. Mm. Um, pretty shamelessly just copied it, called it Fleets. Uh, <laughs> put a story up that, and you can view other people's stories. And it wasn't very good either, Fleets. It, was, it wasn't as good as Instagram stories. It just didn't look as good, you know. But the thing about Fleets is, a bit like Instagram, is if you reply to an Instagram story or a Fleet, it's a DM. It's a direct message. Right. And so if, if you reply to a, yeah, a fleet, you're suddenly in someone's direct messages and they can reply or not reply. Mm-hmm. And in 2020, a, a girl, a, a woman, uh, replied to one of my fleets. It was actually me slagging fleets off in the fleet. <laughs> and she said, no, I think they're great. And then we got chatting and we're married now. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Yeah. And that was obviously, uh, I was really struggling with dating and stuff on, on, on all these apps and things. It was never going anywhere. It was pretty depressing. Hmm. And then this happened out of nowhere. Yeah, got chatting on there and talked every day. Met up when possible. You know, obviously it was lockdown and everything. We had a lot of time to speak, you know, and uh, I think I think, I think probably a lot of people met through Fleets. Because hmm. I think there's a lot of people that follow each other on Twitter and stuff that would want to message each other, but it's maybe awkward. Yeah. But Fleets allowed it and it didn't last long. I, I, they really didn't last very long. I don't know if they were there for like six months. Obviously, it didn't matter because we were already messaging and probably WhatsApping at that point. You see, one of the things I do on Twitter, and you can tell me if this is right or wrong, uh, almost certainly wrong, is that if anybody follows me, I send them a message saying, thanks for following me. Yeah. That then gives them the right to DM me at any point, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And if I hadn't done that, they wouldn't have that right. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, So, in fact, what I'm doing is inviting everybody who follows me into my own little private message world. Yeah. So I think that must be fairly unique on Twitter, that everybody who follows me has the right to send me a private message. Yeah, that's quite nice. I think it's nice. So it was my birthday yesterday, and a lot of people wrote... Thank you. A lot of people wrote happy birthday on Twitter, which was very sweet of them and lovely. And some people sent me actual messages. That's very sweet. Yeah. Now, yeah. once or twice I've had a problem with it, where somebody just won't, they don't realise that in fact they're not suddenly living in my house and have complete access to everything that I do. Yeah. You know, that in fact all it is, is is a means of talking to people. But I can't see any problem in being open like that. Yeah. Well, yeah, on Twitter, because you can have it so that no one can message you mm-hmm. or that everyone can. There's different ways to go about all of that. And mine has um, just been done with the rather laborious process of just saying thank you to everyone. But also, maybe I'm trying to start a trend. Maybe I'm thinking, well, wouldn't it be nice if somebody said hello to you in the street, mm-hmm. you would say hello back, wouldn't you? Yeah. It would seem rather rude not to. And I think that I regard it like that. On Twitter, if somebody follows me, I regard it as a hello. And I like to say hello back. Yeah, that's a nice idea. Then if we're all much more involved with each other on Twitter, then people I don't think would feel they have the right to be quite so rude to people. (laughs) Maybe, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it would probably be a lot better if things were worked out in direct messages (laughs) a lot of the time. (laughs) Yeah. I don't get it. I don't take Twitter seriously at all. I used to get into arguments and things on Twitter, and then I just had a realisation, like, why am I (laughs) doing this? So now I'm just silly on there, mostly. Or I post about work and gigs um, and stuff, mm. which is, I think, how everyone should approach it. I think it should just be a positive thing, but it's obviously it can be pretty nasty. There's a few comedians like me who got a lot more popular over lockdown through putting little videos out and stuff. Um, mm. Suze Kempner, you had her on. Yeah, yeah. Alistair Green, Stevie mm. Martin, 
good friends of mine that, that did really really well and it's yeah people were desperate to be entertained weren't they yeah Twitter was absolutely amazing for that stuff. <laughs> well, um, I'm sorry that Fleets is no longer with us, but you got the perfect benefit from it of ending up with your life partner. How wonderful. Absolutely, yeah. Mots have loved you both, and thank you very much for doing this for me. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's been lovely. Thanks. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Bilal Zafar. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in seeing the sorts of things that Bilal gets up to on YouTube and other things I know nothing about, then he has his own website, twitch.tv slash safarcakes, where you can find everything including the latest Pro Evolution Soccer 2013 streams of his team. You know, the one he manages. But be warned, it's quite addictive. Still, before you leave us to have a look, do subscribe to this podcast on the podcast provider of your choice. Everybody says that. I don't really know why. Why don't they just say your favourite podcast provider? Anyway, it's very easy to rate us. Just click on five stars. Five stars means you love it, and one star means you really don't. So if you live in Australia and use the handle stickface, that's stickface, then thanks for our lovely review but I think you may have clicked one star by accident. Or that may mean it's the best down under. If you could amend it, Stickface, we'd be most grateful. Brilliant. Ah, now, we've had another review on Apple Podcasts from a bloke called Darn Hall, who says that I say brilliant all the time. Sorry, no taken, Darn Hall. I'll try and think of other things to say when I think something's fantastic, which I'm sure you'll agree will be bloody good. Anyway, if anything else annoys anyone, I'm not afraid of criticism, so do follow me and my time capsule on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, and tell me what you like and what you don't like. I can take it. And maybe you can suggest other people who you'd like to hear as guests. Thank you. The theme tune written and performed by Pass the Peas Music is available on Spotify where, if you use them to listen to my time capsule, in other words, if that's the podcast provider of your choice, you can now comment on each individual episode if you fancy as if you haven't got enough things to do in your life this was a cast off production for a cast produced by john fenton stevens right that's quite enough from me so just a quick joke from the bright and witty comedian adele cliff why is henry viii's wife covered in tooth marks because he's tudor now that is brit sorry don hall bloody good bye Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 